Support for Elwood City Limits is made possible by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Email. Elwood City Limits at gmail.com. And by subscribing on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. Thank you. And, and my free time. Welcome. Welcome to Elwood City Limits. It's the Episodic Arthur Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for joining us once again. This is episode eight. Yeah, it's episode eight. I just uh, remember that because I was editing episode seven earlier this week. My name is Will Young and joining me is my uh, co-host, the Buster Baxter to my Arthur Reed. That is Lucas Mancini. I like that. We should we should stick with that. Well, I'm hoping that at some point we get uh, one of my goals my personal goals for the podcast is that we get popular enough to get fan art. So oh. I'm hoping that they'll work with that. See, because you in real life bear, a, let's say, at least a passing resemblance to Arthur, but you identify more with Buster. So <laughs> I'm not sure if I should take that as a compliment or no, not. I, no, I, it's, I... it just kind of is the way it is. Like mm-hmm. You kind of have a similar sort of dress sense. I think you're better with working colors than Arthur is, and of course the, <laughs> and of course the glasses, whereas me, I'm more of a Buster. Uh, in terms of physicality, but I think I identify more with Arthur. So I would love to see people interpret that as they will. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm wondering what Arthur-fied versions of ourselves would be. Mm. Our, what is our original characters do not steal uh, 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 <laughs> Arthur versions? I tried to do the – there's a uh, – of course, Arthur has its own web, uh, web, web presence on pbskids.org, and um, they have, like, an Arthur character creator. And oh, it's, yes. I've seen people using that for no good. It's it's not a great character creator. I tried to make you and me, and it just, <laughs> like, it makes the characters all weird colors, and, like, you can't really pick. It's not, not great. It uh, could be way better. By the way, PBS, if you're listening, Elwood City Podcast follows you on Twitter. So please make a better character creator. Before we get into today's episodes, we have a, a couple of things here. First of all, we got our first email. Ooh. We sure did. Our first ever email to Limits at gmail.com. This one comes to us from Laura. Now, I feel like we did raise this at some point, but I'm going to maybe lean on you a little bit to see if we can remember where this comes from. So I'll just read you the email. Arthur's dad is totally a Democrat. I draw my conclusion not even from this current election, which is best left alone. Thank you, Laura. Back in the day, you're, no, you're going to love this. It gets better. Mid-2000s on Smallville, admittedly long after this episode aired, but stay with me. Lex Luthor ran for state senator in the state of Kansas. Smallville doesn't specify what party he ran for, so it's possible he was an independent. But this whole argument falls but then this whole argument falls apart. Lex Luthor is a Republican. Tax breaks for the wealthy and xenophobia are hallmarks of the Republican Party, which Lex Luthor completely embodies. I will take a sidebar to say not all Republicans are xenophobes, I'm I would sure. Absolutely now, say that does not represent the views of the podcast. Sure. Uh, Laura, you're entitled to your opinion. Absolutely. This is the opinion of Laura, not of Elwood City Limits. So Lex Luthor is a Republican. Therefore, Arthur's dad, a typical middle American guy living his life trying to make ends meet, 
He can't be making that much off of catering if he does it out of his home. He's clearly an entrepreneur. Cannot possibly have the same political affiliations as Lex Luthor. So Lex Luthor equals Republican. Mr. Reed equals Democrat. Love the podcast. Laura. Well, Laura, thank you for being our first email. I Thank you so much, Laura. Mm-hmm. Love to hear from the listeners. Mm-hmm. I got to take a little bit of the issues with her, I think maybe, I'm not sure where Laura's from. Uh, she could be American herself. For sure. Uh, but I think that's kind of a gross oversimplification of the uh, American political parties. Okay. I actually think the majority of the Republican votership is people from flyover states, especially if you look at the current election or past American elections. And again, I'm coming from a Canadian perspective, right. so take all of this with a grain of salt. Yeah. But from uh, when you my, say fl- when you say flyover states, I'm not even sure what that means. So basically, when you look at like maps of how certain states tend to vote, okay. the f- states on the two coasts of America, uh-huh. the West Coast and the East Coast, are usually all blue. So California always votes Democrat. New York always votes Democrat. It's all the states in the middle, oh, the states you fly, fly over, over to get from California to New York. Uh. Those states are relatively rural by comparison usually. But then there's a lot a- more working class people, and they usually vote Republican. But, so, but then does that go back to the question of where is Elwood City? I, it's been a while. I don't exactly have the map of everybody's political uh, votership memorized, so I couldn't tell you if we hypothesized Elwood City was in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, if they voted Democrat or tend to vote Democrat, or if it was in Chicago. I We're still not certain. I mean, Illinois, but we're still not certain where Elwood City is, so it's hard to pin down. But if you're going to say Arthur's dad is a working-class guy— I, I'm not sure that necessarily aspires him to either political party. Plus, we don't even know what the political parties are in the Arthur universe because they're animals. Maybe they're not even using the donkey mascot and the uh, elephant. A- elephant mascot of the uh, yeah. American political parties. They could be using, I don't know, a man and some other thing that's not an a-, a man and a mushroom. Those are the two things mm-hmm. I can think of that. <laughs> uh, well, the only thing I'll say about this, I don't want to get – too political, so I won't. But what I want to, what I do want to say is, I completely understand and I appreciate your comparison to Smallville, Laura. I watched that show for uh, a few, a few seasons. Borrowed, borrowed them from the library when I was in high school, and uh, uh, I think it is a little bit of maybe prescribing character we like to uh, maybe a party we're more in favor of, and then Lex Luthor, obviously, to Republican. Anyway, that's your business. You can do that if you like. I don't – Arthur's dad never really gets too much of a character to the point where you could prescribe political leanings to him. Now, the, the connections you made in that he is an entrepreneur, has his own catering business, is a father in uh, uh, middle America. I don't even know if that's technically correct. But, uh, yeah, I'm I'm honestly I, – I, I say I'm not sure and thankfully it doesn't play into the show very much and I'm – Gosh, I mean, I know we've only we're only on episode eight, but I wish I could remember what kind of brought this up. I'll tell you what, though, if there's any character who's a Republican, it's Muffy and her dad. Yes, let's get that straight. Okay. Well, well if you if you go on our Twitter, I, that was our that was our uh, one of our first tweets that we've had was that it just struck me one morning that Mr. Crosswire is a very <laughs> very good Elwood City representation of one Donald Trump. <laughs> well, I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't except he's successful at business. I would say Mr. yeah, Crosswire. I I don't want to speak ill of poor Mr. Crosswire. He might be rich and 
an a, kind of an absentee father. Well, we'll get into Mr. Crosswire's character later on, but I don't yeah. want to. That's kind of mean to poor Mr. Crosswire. I'll say this much: physically, I, mean I think physically. Arthur's dad's main character trait is that he's a goofball. He's a jokester. He doesn't take things too seriously. He'll drop a dad joke any chance. Oh, he, he gets. is Mr. Dad Joke. Arthur's dad. Let's be real here. He's part of the rhinoceros party of Canada. That's if he prescribes to any sort of political view. It's I want things to be funny and I want them to be funny now. So and, hey, Arthur's dad for that. I salute you. So just just briefly uh, sum up the rhinoceros party for uh, those of our non-Canadian listeners. Well, the Rhinoceros Party, I don't remember exactly when it was created, but it's sort of a parody of a political party. It's right. a political party that's essentially one big joke yes. to uh, make fun of politics. I see. Well, not a, bad, not a bad way to look at it. Laura, thank you very much for the email. If it's a little bit uh, of an unusual question, I like it even better. And I like the way you worded it, too. Now, before And before we get into the episode, one more thing. Uh, an article came out this week about the response of WGBH-PBS to Arthur memes, which, of course, Arthur memes are everywhere. By the way, I did find the sound for the Arthur meme alert. I did. I heard that. I went back and listened to the episode. So, maybe familiar to those of you who grew up in the 90s watching cartoons. Uh and I found this interesting, and I wanted to get a reaction to it. So I printed out the salient part because, of course, Arthur memes are everywhere uh, and were everywhere this summer and now here in the fall of 2016. Jump, WGBH spokeswoman Ellen London, this is from the article, said the network appreciates that the memes, quote, have been created and shared in good fun, but is disappointed by the few that are outside of good taste, i.e. most of them. Still the, art, still, still, still the article, and not her quote. Really? Our quote, our hope is that Arthur and his friends will be depicted in a way that is respectful and appropriate for all audiences. Well, that hasn't... I'm of two minds of this. Yo. They have to say that, right? They can't be like, we love the memes, we love the dank memes. Like, you're not going to see them say that, but... Uh, they so they have to say it's good that they say we like some of the memes. Yes. They can't say they like the bad ones. Right. But it is also a little bit of the Streisand effect where we're seeing this happen right now with Pepe. Bring it back to politics. I can't believe we've been talking about this so much this episode. But <laughs> right now Pepe's uh, being classified as a hate symbol, and it's not because Pepe the Frog. If you're not familiar with it, the meme of the sad looking frog. Yeah, yeah, just look it up. You'll you've, anyway. You've, you've seen it. He's being classified as a hate symbol uh, in some circles, and the uh, because a lot of people who support the Trump campaign have been making memes with Pepe. Now, from my personal perspective, I don't think that necessarily makes Pepe the image of him. Uh, inherently racist or a hate symbol. In fact, I think the opposite is true. Pepe's from, like, if you look into the actual history of the caricature, yeah. it's from a comic book way back in the early 2000s. And uh, so the more you try to get rid of something, the more me the memes will flow. It's the yeah. Streisand effect. So I think the same thing is with Arthur. Like, you have to take the good with the bad because yes. if you complain about the bad, more bad will just come. Pretty and much. I don't think Arthur is inherently bad or nor are the Arthur memes. It's like anything, right? Just because people make racist movies doesn't mean that all movies are racist. You right. know what I mean? It's it's the medium. Um, and I think memes are a medium unto themselves. You're right, especially right now. And I, I, I basically agree with you. I don't think that there is 
any real harm because the audience that is seeing the more twisted of the Arthur memes is definitely not the audience is still watching Arthur for its educational or enriching content. And I think it's I think it's just a consequence of a generation that grew up with Arthur and is now relating it to their lives. Um, you know, yeah, no, that's that's no, that's pretty much it. Relating it to their lives, and I think it's done in a very cl- a very clever way. Like I've seen a lot of them that I really really like, and uh, I um, I'll stop short of endorsing it because I don't want <laughs> my influence to affect the meme in any way. I just wanted to play its course, keep doing what it's doing. It's all good with me. It's funny you bring this up, though, because it's so widespread. I was watching Donald Glover's Atlanta this week. Oh, yeah. And an Arthur meme appears in the newest episode. There's sort of a character who's supposed to be very social media savvy. Yes. He's kind of like a vlogger, and he's online. And he throws up an Arthur meme to impress Hmm. uh, Donald Glover's character. Not bad. Did it work? No. That's too bad. So uh, (laughs) Donald Glover, not a fan of Arthur memes. Let's get into this episode. It is... At least one half that I've been waiting for for a long time. Arthur's new puppy. And then we'll get into Arthur Bounces Back. So, Arthur's new puppy. It's Pal. It's the debut of Pal. Not just in persona, but in name. So, Arthur's outside playing with Pal and, again, talking to the camera. Trying to figure out what he wants to name Pal. So, he goes through a few of them. I have them all written here. So do I. Uh, (laughs) First one is Champion. Kind of solid, pretty good. Yeah, not bad. A uh, little bit of, little bit much for a dog to live up to. Uh, bionic puppy. Uh, dog pun names. It's kind of a rocky road. I was thinking if I had a dog, I might name it Lucha Dog for a while, and then I thought, no, that's too stupid. So yeah, uh, it's just not personable. But they no. have they have shelf life for sure. Exactly. And then cycles through a th- few of his friend names: Buster, Francine, and Binky. Which and, is bizarre, by the way. Yeah. You don't name a dog after someone you know. No. What does that say about them? And also the weird thing, so it's kind of like a dream sequence where every time he says a different name, he says that basically a name just prescribes what the dog is going to be like. Exactly. Arthur seems to think like this will change their breed. Like yeah, when he a lot of, says a lot champion, of it turns into like a great Dane. But when mm-hmm. he says Binky, it turns into like a bulldog. Yeah. I guess maybe that's just what Binky's face looks like. But that's sh- what it looked like for me. That's true. Uh, so it's a little odd. But it's a fun fun visual, I guess. I was going to ask you, you have a dog named Spirit, right? That's right. How did Spirit get his, her name? I don't know. My parents kept me very far away from that process. It's a boy, by the way. But uh, my parents kept me as separated from that process as possible. Because knowing me, I would have picked something beyond stupid for my dog's name. In fact, I think I said in a previous episode, my plan was to name him Jeff Bridges, which my parents were not a fan of. And so they named him Spirit because of his white color. He's a Samoyed Husky Mesk. He's a Samoyed Husky mix. If you've seen Game of Thrones, he looks like Ghost from Game of Thrones. He looks like a, oh... Direwolf? Direwolf, thank you. you. Oh, man. All right. And then, of course, none of those names work. He's just going to be my pal. (laughs) Aw. And I'll get to to this in a second. What would you name a dog, Will, if you had one? (sighs) I definitely have thought about this before. Um, First of all, if I was going to have a dog... Golden Retriever is very high on the list because if, because realistically, if I had a dog, I think I've said before, I'm not much of an animal person, and I'm dating someone right now who um, is not – also, like, we like being around some – and like, the cute animals, but we don't want to own one. So if I, if I were to be uh, having a dog, it would be because I was single. Uh, so – 
it's likely not to happen. Knock on wood. Uh, if you know, if I were to name a dog, it would. I would be tempted to do the the gimmick name, like like you said, but those really have shelf life. I want to say something just like a a solid first name. I remember when I was little, my mother was really against giving dogs people names. I think that's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> no, but not like full names, but like oh. even like like as we'll see later in the episode, like Frederick or like something like that. I was going to say, I think Frederick, better than any of the names Arthur came up with. I think DW's got something going. I guess we'll get would, into that later. I'd be tempted to name something like a real dog's name, like Bailey. I always think that ba- Bailey's a very good dog's name or something like that. I don't know. I'll have to kind of think about that for the dog that I'll probably never get. Arthur is breaking Pal into the Reed household in this episode. And uh, I noticed that – so he writes Pal's name on his dish and DW says, P-A-L? You're naming him Pal? And I'm like, hey, DW's learning how to read. Ooh, I didn't pick up on that. Like a little bit of her kind of learning to read, and that'll never, ever be consistent. So I wonder if she knows what green thing. is yet. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, no, it was green. You're right. Um, so w- the name that DW suggests, which is kind of sort of a running theme of the episode, is that the people suggesting names for Arthur, even though he's set on Pal. So she says, Frederick. Uh, because he looks like a Frederick. He's, you know, pal at this point, just a almost brand new golden retriever puppy. Um, and at this point, DW is very not impressed with him. Because Arthur is in love with this dog. He is in love with his new puppy, as he would be. And DW is just not buying it. Because he is saying that do- pal's going to be the smartest dog ever. DW, always the skeptic. She's always willing to... Uh take the odds with Arthur. She's a betting gal as well. <laughs> yeah, um, and little... you know what? I tend to agree with DW in this scenario. As far as Arthur's concerned, Pal can do no wrong, and that's pretty much throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, DW, a lot more logical than Arthur so far. Very much so. He, Arthur lets his emotions uh, control his actions quite a bit. Her more than the parents is kind of the main dissenting opinion of Pal, <laughs> which <laughs> you do kind of need for a story like this. It's a, a lot about overcoming adversity. So Pal runs into the living room, and at first, like, Arthur's mom calls Arthur my rug. And I was like, oh, he's eating the rug. And then, no, the way that... Arthur, Arthur runs in and then carries him out kind of at arm's length. I'm like, ooh, he wasn't eating the rug. And I was like, why didn't my mind immediately go to that? It's because you're clean, not like these filthy writers. Your mind's out of the gutter, that's why. So, Okay, so I've already said it, but Pal is the cutest dog ever. If I were to have a dog, if I were to have any fictional dog in the world, it would be Pal. Pal is the best and... I love him. Really? Be, you'd be, like you'd like him more than a Scooby. You wouldn't want to talk to a dog. Any it. fictional dog. Courage. He'll protect you. You'd no, say. none of those. Wow. Pal. Give me pal. I want pal. pal Cat it. dog. The best of both worlds. No. <laughs> These are terrible suggestions. <laughs> pal. <laughs> so they meet Francine outside, and pal, continue, continuing to be cute, it has some wonderful expressions. Like uh, Francine says, he looks like a Steve. And then- Another pal, great name, by the way. Pal kind of- No, not for a dog. And Pal just kind of looks at Arthur offended for a second before he starts chewing on his collar. <laughs> Arthur has a line about, I'm going to teach him how to flip through the air and catch Frisbees upside down. And Pal kind of gives him a double take like, what are you trying to do? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I he, Pal he, made the exact same expression I made where I was like, oh, let's maybe crawl before we walk, Arthur. Well, and Pal is the kind of character where he can't talk, at least not yet. So he, he all of his dialogue is through expression. So I think that there's a lot of great expressive pal faces and it's 
The animators, it's, it's, it's adorable. I love Pal. The animators have a lot of fun with him, right? Because it's a very classic concept in animation. Oh, like expressive animals, right? It's yeah. a Disney standby. Yeah. But the animals in Arthur are bipedal. They basically look like people with ears that are mm-hmm. animal-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the uh, writers took the opportunity to make an actual animal-looking animal uh, give all these expressions. And they had to because he can't speak, obviously. For sure. Uh, so we're introduced to the idea that puppies that aren't good go to live on a farm. Francine's cousin had a puppy that was so bad that her parents had to take it away to a farm. So I want to get into this for a second. Ooh, yeah. Are they, are they talking about putting these dogs down? So that's – I think I I think I think might have made that note at some point. But – yeah, it's, I, I mean, uh, that is the question. <laughs> That's the question we're dealing with. Because of course they're not going to say they killed it or like. Because, but the, and the other thing is, is that you wouldn't put down a puppy, would you? Even if it was like so much trouble, I don't think that the puppies that they're talking about probably not violent that we know of. Just probably my guess is just mischievous. And there are puppy farms out there. Like literal puppy farms. I couldn't, I don't know about that. And that's some dark places that I don't even like to think about. No. But I got it like, because other, other shows will make this joke. Where right. They're they talking sent, about sent, sent him away whenever a dog gets need to put down, they always tell the kids, oh, he got sent away to a farm. So there's, I think there's two possibilities here. Yeah. Possibility one. Okay, maybe three. So possibility one oh, is three possibilities. They're trying to say they're going to put this dog down if he's not good. Right. Which is, if you put it in that context, this episode is crazy, and the way Arthur's parents react to things in this episode is crazy. If that's the way you it perceive actually, this whole situation, it actually makes the episode even have even more gravity. There's more on the line. The stakes are high, life and death. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now. Here's option two. Option two. Option two is the pal would literally be shipped off to the farm. It's a fantasy world, magical realism. Pal would go to a farm and live the rest and like of his I said, days And like I said, I believe that there are some, like, actual puppy farms. But then again, those are where they're bred. So, like, the I, the better thing for pal would be, you know, we're only a couple of years removed, this in 1996, from the idea of the dog catcher. <laughs> I think we're still in the era of the dog catcher in 1996. So... It would be more sensible to say he'll we'll put give him to the shelter. Option three, and uh-huh. this is probably my favorite possibility. Uh-huh. Them saying they're going to send Pal to a farm is sort of like meta humor about all these other shows mm-hmm. using a dog getting sent to a farm as a euphemism for a dog being put down. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, like, when sitcoms will talk about a family dog getting put away, that's yes. the main thing. Yes. So, this show is kind of making fun of that trope in a way, in a way that adults would understand, but the joke kind of goes over kids' heads and they believe he'd literally go to a farm. Okay, I see. So, kind of kind of almost the best of both worlds, in a sense. Exactly. And I that, think that, that maybe, must be what that it is. That may be closer to the truth, but, uh, no, I'm glad, we, I'm glad we had that out because I definitely... You can't not think of it if you're of a certain age and you watch this episode. So that's kind of – those aren't the stakes yet, but it's kind of in the back of our heads. So they go back inside. Pal's still kind of you know running around everywhere, and Arthur says he's just excited to be home. Then Arthur's dad calls from the living room, and DW says, yeah, he just got excitement all over the <laughs> living room rug. I'm like, that was, that was a good line. 
She also uh, says you should call them puddles. That's right. And uh, DW gets a little bit of a running joke here. I like how they do the uh, Foley work for Pal, and I was thinking to myself, I can't figure out how do they do it because he sounds just like a dog. Mm. And I don't know if it's literally like a dog from a sound library. They brought a dog into the studio or if it's a man pretending to be a dog. I think in Pal's case, I'm pretty sure that I've heard a lot of his sound effects from in like other things. So okay, I think, so it's I think it's sound a, library. I think it's the same thing as Kate because there's a lot of stock baby <laughs> noises that she's that she does at different points. So I'm pretty sure it's just a sound library. But you're right, they're well chosen. Arthur brings Pal into the living room to show them that uh oh, he's trained him. Or at least he thinks he has. So he says, Pal speak, and he does. <laughs> and he says, Pal sit and he speaks. And there's a great shot back to the family where they're just all bug eyed. They're just like <laughs> looking at him like he just pooped on the floor of just of just like he did it a minute ago. And then Pal- yeah, the, the timing of this scene's great. And then and then, of course, he goes, pal, speak, and then pal sits. So it's going to be a little while before he gets he gets it right. Arthur's getting ahead of himself. Here's the main thing about dog ownership, right? The tricks are the last thing. You get to eating properly and waiting for your food properly. You get to proper walk etiquettes. Your dog's not pulling on you the whole time. Oh, yeah. And of, of course, option number one, the first thing you take care of is potty training. Yep. Uh, so Arthur, he's kind of trying to... Arthur's still in very much the honeymoon phase, and he doesn't really <laughs> leave it in this episode, but but it's his new dog, and of course he wants to, you know, he's thinking about how well-trained he's going to be, but he's kind of, his eyes are bigger than his stomach at this point. I mean, when you think about Arthur's age, it makes sense. What do you want a dog for when you're that age, right? You want to play tricks with it. You want to take it to the park. You sure. want a Nintendo dog, essentially. All Pretty the much. fun, none of the mess. Exactly. That's the kind of dog that I want at this point in my life. <laughs> Pal is kind of put into the garage where it's a little bit spooky, scary, and he's not very comfortable. And, of course, Arthur, in his soft heart towards his dog, you know, literally begs his father to let him sleep in the house. Whenever the animators want to show something as spooky, they always do the exact same thing, and I love it every time. They use a bunch of Dutch angles to make it look like a German expressionist horror film, <laughs> and they always they always have the gimmick where it's the branch tapping on the window. Yeah. I feel like in every horror dream sequence we've seen, which there have been surprisingly a lot so far in these first eight episodes, there's been like a branch tapping at the window ominously. There's a lot in the world that's scary to an eight-year-old and I, and I guess a puppy. So they let him kind of stay. I want to say it's by the, like their back door. Uh, they let him sleep over there. Arthur is kind of so they kind of give him give him a chance, but then Pal gets away from him. The first thing that he does is that he escapes upstairs where DW is reading in her bedroom, and he notices like her kind of foot going up and down and her shoe, and it's kind of entrancing him a little bit. So he kind of bites her shoe, and then everybody rushes to her room. <laughs> And Pal and her are fighting over the sh- fighting over the shoe, and of course, and he flings it and like puts a light out. Then they put the baby gate in. Uh, and my dog is the exact same way when he was a puppy. Uh, my dog is the most well-behaved dog in the world. Perfectly polite, uh, great with people, very quiet. Uh, poops where he's supposed to. We let him have free reign of the house. But when he was a we puppy, should be, we should all be so lucky. When he was a puppy, his one vice was shoes. He destroyed numerous shoes. I had house guests. Shoes gone. You couldn't leave a shoe on ground level because Spirit was going to get at it. So, pal, very similar. I see. Um, so they installed the baby gate. Oh, I was, I'm sorry. I've, um, and I missed, I missed a line here. Um, back when Arthur is, again, literally begging his father to let pal in, um, 
you know, he says, you know, he's scared. Let him stay in the house, please. And then DW says, you're better trained than pal. Now you've learned to beg. <laughs> DW coming through with the burns this just, episode. It's just like, dang, that is harsh. Later on, after uh, pal is biting her shoe, she kind of waxes dramatic and she says, I thought I was going to have a heart attack, daddy. <laughs> yes. To Arthur's well, mom, and, she, and, and she's like babying her, her shoe in kind of like the way you're supposed to hold a baby. Uh, Arthur's dad... The real MVP of this episode, I think. Both of these two episodes, Arthur's dad is the secret. You would want to say DW is the obvious most valuable player in these two episodes with her one-liners. But the few moments of Arthur's dad we get in both of these episodes are sheer brilliance, in my opinion. I think I missed this. I think I missed some of Arthur's dad, so I'll, I'll be interested to see what you have to say. I also missed a visual gag with DW bringing in the wagon full of newspaper for Pal. And it's like it's it's like they've been hoarding this newspaper for this specific purpose. And it's, of course, the joke that Pal pees everywhere. Um, so they put in the baby gate and that should keep him there. And but, of course, when you turn all the lights off, then Pal gets lonely and he starts to howl. And at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. And of course, this doesn't please the family, but I gotta say, it's so cute. He's so cute. Oh, well. Like, look, if this was me, I wouldn't be happy. I would not be happy in the least. He'd be going back in the garage. But because it's not me, he's just like making these little, like these little howls. And I'm just like, oh, you're so cute. I don't think I was ever up once at 3 a.m. at Arthur's age. I don't think I saw past 12 until I was at least. 12 myself. No way. Uh, so they put the baby gate up, and then Arthur kind of stays with him and figure they'll both fall asleep. But Arthur falls asleep, and then pals back up like a shot, and he jumps over the gate. Not anybody's fault. Like, he would have, like, it's like the family would probably, like, oh, blame this on Arthur. He fell asleep. But, like, no. You put up the gate, pal's going to jump that. Which is weird because the camera kind of zooms in on Arthur leaving the gate a little bit open. Yeah, he leaves it unlocked. But that's not even how pal escapes. No, he, he just jumps it. He just, he just whoofs it. You're right. You didn't really need to do that. When pal is asleep in his bed, I believe this is the first time. Sorry, I'm kind of jumping all over the place. Uh, clearly, you sure I, do love pal. I mean, Arthur, he's, he's, he's fast asleep and Arthur says, you see, he's the perfect dog. And I'm like, this boy is so in love with this dog. It's, it's adorable. Uh, so Pal jumps out of the gate and he proceeds to wreak havoc. And you see, I put this note earlier and I think it kind of threw me off. Pal is very rough around the edges, to say the least. Um, in fact, it's, in some points, you know, given his propensity for biting shoes and biting like Francine's tire on her bike, he's a bit of a terror. And I wonder if he takes after his mother, Perky, oh. who is also who the mailman calls Jaws. So <laughs> I wonder if it runs in the family and he had to be kind of broken of those habits. Um, sort of nature versus nurture. Yeah. So <laughs> Pal is just kind of tearing down the drapes and uh, messing up his dad's catering schedule and just kind of makes all like frigs up the living room like crazy. Arthur is woken up. DW says, forget calling him puddles. How about Lake? Ugh, what a visual. Yeah. And, so, and, and of course, followed by his mother saying, 
It's Arthur saying, I'll clean it up. And his mother's saying, you'll need this. And she hands him a small spade. Oh, and this it, is so and good. And then DW comes in with a large snow shovel and says, no, you'll need this. <laughs> Arthur's dad. Again, this is why I wrote down Arthur's dad's the secret MVP of this episode. Because he had two great lines. Okay. Earlier, when DW said, I thought I was going to have a heart attack daddy, Arthur's dad with perfect delivery goes, I think you're safe now, honey. Yeah. Knowingly. Now, Arthur's dad, he's tired. His catering manuals destroyed and he just says exasperated pal was in the living room too and i gotta and i gotta say god love arthur's parents they are as patient as you read about because again like i say if i was in his position when he was howling back into the garage if i had woken up in the morning and seen my living room the way it is he's gone he's he is at the farm Pal is straight up messing with Arthur's dad's business directly at this point. There's he gets a way, like yeah, that and that's in that's in a, a, the next scene, and is that Pal is just straight up eats his dad's party platter that he's making for a, an event, and he still sticks around. That's not the last straw. That's like a hundred dollar party platter, oh, by dude. the way, too. I don't know if you've ever ordered catering, but that party platter was so much money. They jack it up. And all his dad says, if that dog's untrainable, I don't know how he can keep it. And it's like probably holding his tongue. Like, I would be furious. Here's something weird about this. So after the living room is basically leveled, like mm-hmm. a bomb went off in it, the thing that Arthur's mom is most concerned or mad about <laughs> Is that Pal, like, ate the soap? She's, like, really upset about this. She's like, Pal ate the soap. And the, soap the, soap from the, the soap from the bathroom. The soap from the bathroom. Who cares? Of all the things he did, like, peeing all over the floor and pooping everywhere and destroying, like, documents that pertain to your he husband's He didn't destroy business. them. He just kind of mixed them around. Uh, uh, I mean, th- I think that's just kind of the thing that she first noticed. And, of course, it's like, why would you even eat soap? Like, you would take one <laughs> lick of it and you would know that it's bad, you... Dumb dog. Well, she puts, yeah, she's like outraged about this. She's like, he ate the soap. Well, she's not so much outraged. She's just kind of beside herself. Like she can't believe it. And, and it's it, a visual gag later on in the episode. In the next scene, right, we see bubbles yeah, coming he, out of Pal's mouth. Yeah, and he burps a bubble when he's when Arthur's talking to Francine and Buster. Uh, we get something that, of course, is never ever mentioned again. Buster says, "My puppy was so much trouble that my mom gave him away while I was at school," which. Whoa. I really don't like Buster's mom at this point. Every single time we've seen her, and I get that, you know, she might have a hard time. She's yeah. separated with her husband, so uh, yeah. she, she's doing things by herself. But if I had a friend who had Buster's mom, I'd be like, oh, here she is again, messing yeah. with my fun. But we get a little bit more of her as a character in later seasons, and that's when I think, well, go figure. That's when you kind of start to understand her better. But right now she is very helicopter parent, and she would definitely not be putting up with all of the stuff that Arthur's mom and dad are. Like, freakishly patient are Arthur's parents compared to Bitsy, who would let him go. Right before the uh, the party platter thing, Arthur is kind of moving stuff out to the garage because that's where Pal's going to stay now. But then he asked DW where the garage key is. And, of course, Pal knows where it is, and he kind of gives this real great stinker look. Like, he's just like, a, I know where it is. Right into the camera, too. Yeah. Um, uh, DW says, he eats soap. You owe me $12 million. <laughs> DW remembers her debts. That's right. So finally, after after Pal destroys the party platter, Arthur kind of sets him down in his bed, and he makes his he makes this drawing 
of no wait is the implication he drew the picture because I thought I, he like I, got it somewhere I figured that he drew it because <laughs> I never noticed that the farm in the picture was on top of Spiral Mountain it looks like like a Sav- Salvador Dali painting <laughs> this is yeah. like the most nightmare like, farm from hell I've l- ever seen in like my life bleeding time it's just on, in a stormy field on top of a spiral mountain like it was in the first season of Digimon or something it doesn't make any sense the barns on top of this jagged spiraling hill from the dark crystal and then the pasture is at the bottom of the hill so let's say this was an actual farm you owned you'd have to walk up and down this nightmare spire every single day to tend to your farm it doesn't make any sense it's like if happy trees like the uh the the show that was also on pbs uh where the guy uh Paints with the afro. I can't. Oh, recall oh, his name. Joy, the joy of painting. Bob Ross. Bob Ross. It's like Bob Ross's Happy Trees, but it, it, the evil version. Bob mm-hmm. Ross with a goatee. This is what he would draw. This hellscape. Yeah. And to which Arthur says, "That's where you're going if you aren't good." Pal, at this point, like, it doesn't understand. Like, Pal kind of goes back and forth between understanding Arthur and kind of just being a puppy. And then, of course, Arthur with a so diabetically cute line is just. It's like, I always wanted the dog, but I never dreamed he would be like you. And Pal kind of has a sad look on his face, and he says, you're better than any dog I could ever imagine. And I'm like, oh, Aww. he so loves this dog. And then he says, if you go, we'll never see each other again, which I wrote down. Yeah, because maybe they'll kill him. <laughs> you never know. You really won't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what fate is worth, death or this nightmare farm. R.I.P. Pal's going to need the Doom Marine to help him out of that farm. R.I.P. Rest in Pal. So then we get to what I what I guessed personally was your favorite part of the episode, which is the Rocky training montage of Arthur and Pal going over routines. Uh, and, you know, as most montages go, not so good at first, then getting then getting better and then are ready to be shown off. And it's a Rocky montage complete with a sound alike theme and Arthur wearing a red and yellow sweatsuit. That's right. The as Rocky he and Pal theme run. in this montage is just a few notes off, so it's not copyright it's, infringing. It's a very good sound alike. But it definitely gives the exact same vibe, the triumphants of the original Rocky theme and gotta love Arthur's tracksuit. Mm. That bright race red, ooh, you know he's going fast. <laughs> and they even have the exact same shot as from Rocky where they're climbing up yeah. the steps. Another clue that maybe Elwood City is an approximation of Philadelphia. Could be, but it's a library steps, I think it was. But it, great, great montage and great, I loved that music. I really loved what they did with that. I wouldn't think... Of all the things, so Arthur's going over, like, teaching him to sit, running with him on a leash, all that sort of stuff. I wouldn't think that one of the things you'd have to teach Pal is how to fetch. I feel like that kind of comes a bit more naturally to dogs. No, because they don't always bring it back to you. That's the part that's hard. They'll get something that you go throw, but then they might just keep it. The part you have to teach them about fetching is you get them to bring the thing back to you, and then also they have to drop it out of their mouth. Some of them you'll have to wrestle with them to get it Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I've never trained a dog, so I don't know. So finally, Arthur has the now or never show. This could be Pal's life on the line <laughs> as uh, in front of the family outside. So uh, he successfully speaks. He's able to stay. He's able to come. <laughs> when, when he speaks, DW just goes, seen it, yeah. which is a great moment. <laughs> DW not impressed off the immediately gate from ba- the jump. Immediately bagging on Arthur, <laughs> just not even ready. But then she's quickly amazed by what she sees. Uh, he's able t- – and then he finally – does like an up and pal goes up and clearly he's trained to their liking and uh, it says he can fetch too. 
So he won't have to live on a farm, not even in the garage. And then, of course, he finds the garage key, which he most likely hit himself. But, you know, whatever to win brownie points. Smart, smart dog. He knew. Yeah, he knew a little when... bit of that magical realism that yeah. Pal was able to discern that they were going to try and keep him in the garage, mm-hmm. and he knew which key was the garage key. Pal is, an, is a preternaturally intelligent puppy, so as we'll, as we'll see. And this is, Arthur was right. He's a very smart dog. All right, to end off the episode, DW says, well, maybe he is above average. And then Pal gives her a big old lick. So there you go. Uh, Arthur's new puppy, the debut of Pal into the canon proper after a little bit of teasing of him in his presence in the earlier episodes. So we go now to, and now a word from us kids. I didn't see this one. Okay, so, so have this, to tell me about so it. So this one was kind of about the third grade pets in like a classroom. Uh, so they have a couple of pets. They have like a rabbit named Pinky, which is a not a a fairly fairly good sized rabbit that you can kind of hold in the crook of one arm. They have chicken eggs that are hatching and a few chicks, and uh, they also have tadpoles in like a. In like an environment there, did you did you ever have an elementary class where you had like a pet? So this is in a lot of kids shows, and I always wondered if it was like maybe an American thing or maybe just a big city because thing. because because the trope is usually like the class hamster, the class hamster, or the class anything. I never met a person in my life who had a cat class pet. So, besides like those maggots that hatch. Oh yeah, we had those, but besides so that, did, yeah, so did I. But the second grade class that I wasn't in. So, like, the one that was across the hall from mine when I was in second grade, they did have chicks that they hatched. That's crazy. It's, That's nuts. It's kind of cool. Like, I get the idea behind it is kind of teach them, like, the cycle of life and, of course, how to take care of it. But it's also a big risk because kids are terrible and they uh, aren't great I at wonder, keep, take, make, taking care of things. Did the bunny belong to the profe- like the teacher or did it stay in the school after everybody left? It didn't really say, but I, I think the implication was is that it belonged to the third grade class. Yeah, but, like, where does it go when everybody leaves? I assume it stays there. Just by itself? It seems... Maybe uh, maybe the janitor feeds it after hours. I don't hours. know. It's weird. Hard to say. And then the kids talk about the pets that they have at home or that they wish that they had. Uh, one kid... So get this. This is his menagerie at home. He has three fish. Okay. Two birds. Oh, okay. A little bit abnormal. A cat. Yeah, that's pretty... A dog. A dog. Okay. And two lizards. Oh, he's so, running a little mini zoo. Yeah, really. Uh, there's you ever a, know a lizard kid? A, like, there's always these. No, Lucas, I never knew a kid that was a lizard, I'm afraid. Uh, I know, I know what you mean. I there's don't. always, like, kids who are, like, way into reptiles. You know mm. what I mean? When I was a little kid, I was like, check out my snake room. I was like, what? I don't remember, to be honest what? with you. What? Why do you have a tarantula? What? <laughs> I don't want to go to your house anymore. No, I, I knew in university, or well, I still have a friend, but he had a snake that he fed once in, in front of me and it was both cool and terrifying. Like I feel like snakes are like the vape pen of the animal world. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, do, you know what? It's, it's like the kind of pet here, but someone who plays a lot of Call of Duty would have. Mm, well yeah, but <laughs> it takes a lot of work to like manage a snake. So really? you really have to know yeah. Especially like my friend was a snake handler, like he had family that was snake handlers. Like uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, and oh. 
it was like it's a big job because and it's like and it's tough because like he has to keep the habitat just so like he didn't always have it or like draped around him or something like he had to kind of let it be and in fact when he was feeding it like he had to know everything about how it fed because it's like don't put your feet on the floor or else he'll bite like don't make any sudden movements or else he'll bite you like just let him do his thing and just let it happen i'm just like and he had i remember he had a bunch of bites in his arm too Maybe that's why whenever I met someone who is into reptiles, was way into reptiles, is because it's not an absentee kind of pet. You can't just feed and forget like a cat. Yep. You have to be very involved and very knowledgeable. It's sort of a hobby unto its own, it's, much like vaping. And, sure. And I mean, like snakes, you have to feed them live stuff. So that's an even more bigger responsibility to it. Uh, another girl has two dogs with some great dog names. One name, one's name is JC, and the other one is Ace. What do you think the JC stands for? Jeremy Clarkson. Oh, the dog likes to review cars. <laughs> and then they go into the pets that they wish they had. So like kids, dragons, stuff, snakes, dragons, all that sort of stuff. So you know, pretty. That's that. That's pretty much surface level. What it is just talking about animals. So then we get into Arthur bounces back. So we start off with Arthur bouncing, literally bouncing up and down in front of the camera. The second I saw that, I was like, oh, this is the Moon Boots episode. When I read the title, I had no idea what Arthur's bounces back was. And I was like, oh, man, strap it in. This is the Moon Boots episode. That image burned into my brain of Arthur bouncing. You were a bit more into the idea of moon boots than I was at the outset. So Arthur speaking the truth, like laying it down in front of the camera, again, Ferris Bueller style. Arthur says when you – basically it boils down to you want something and you get so excited about the fact that you want it. Then you get it. It's not such a big thing anymore. And that's like like Taoism, dude. That's Arthur, like that's like that's like straight up Buddha right there. Arthur lecturing us about materialism. Yeah, I was. I'm not gonna lie though. I was kind of rolling my eyes at Arthur a little bit. Like, come on, Arthur. I like my iPhone. Like, well, get off my back. Well, and he has his own examples of of stuff that he has, like but, hockey, like hockey gloves, or a telescope, or bionic bunny walkie talkies. Which, to be fair, he gets the use out of those bionic bunny walkie talkies as the series goes on. It's actually a funny joke though because. Arthur's sort of being so poetic and talking about materialism and his attitude towards material things. And then he all throws it all out the window the second when he talks about the moon boots. He goes, but these moon boots will be different. Yeah, I had to. Have, well, he's talking about them in the past tense because, of course, what do you think he's using to bounce up in front of the camera? Uh, and, of course, at the end, he's suspended in midair when he is uh, interrupted by uh, Mrs. Tibble off screen and then kind of drops back down. A little bit more magic realism for you. Don't you. Forget about me. Don't, 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 <laughs> Not don't. quite the same, but I appreciate what you're trying for. Uh, so at the beginning, Arthur and his family are in the car. Mom, why do we have to go clothes shopping? Because it's fall and you both need new coats. Thanks, exposition mom. <laughs> appreciate, appreciate the follow-up. It's the same time of year in this Arthur episode as it is right now, I am assuming. Yeah. Like, right about now, I'm thinking, ah, I need to buy more sweaters. It's getting cold out again. Unless it isn't. And, uh... Arthur says, can I stay in the car? And his mom says, they'll let you in the mall, Arthur. You're not a dog. To which I was like, no, he's an aardvark. What are, you trying to, <laughs> what are we trying to say here about dogs? Why aren't they? Why wouldn't you let them into the mall? Anyway. The, just, DW also gets her two cents in. She goes, his nose is cold. DW, <laughs> possibly a conspiracy theorist thinking Arthur might be a dog after all. I, I strongly doubt it. Um, 
so they go in, and DW is way into the kind of fashion side of her uh, of trying on clothes, which I think is pretty funny. She's also she's kind of like narrating her own style. Yeah, guide. like like she's going down a runway. It's like um, if you've ever watched Seinfeld when Elaine had the job where she had to write the little pieces about each clothing piece. Okay. So, like, DW will talk about a jacket, and she'll be like, oh, this Everest green jacket, perfect for a brisk walk. Those sort of, like, mini stories you write around clothes are exactly what Elaine's job was to write for this catalog on Seinfeld. I see. I I didn't catch that one, but, yeah, that's absolutely what she's doing. Now – Follow me on this one. This is a little bit of a this is a weird one. So Arthur's mom gets him to try on a green jacket, which is, you know, not exactly a C button right for alternate attire. We never really see this one again. So Arthur kind of stands up in front of the mirror, and the shot where he's in front of the mirror, I was like, he looks like somebody, and I can't put my finger on who. And it was, so it was, it was the glasses. It was kind of the, the lackadaisical expression and kind of standing up. Arthur really looked like Hannibal Burris in that shot. <laughs> as weird as it sounds, like I I saw Hannibal Burris in Arthur. You know Arthur. what? I one, I guarantee a Hannibal Burris Arthur meme already exists. Yes. Two, they have similarly shaped heads. Mm-hmm. Like thinking about it now, if there was they're a both, lot they're, they're both bald. They if, both have glasses and they both have kind of oval heads. Mm-hmm. If there was a live action Arthur film, about Arthur's adult life, I think Hannibal Burris would be pretty good casting. I think uh, Eric Andre could be Buster. I'm, ooh, okay, I'm into it. I would say that's a better, funnier die sketch. Yeah, I, it still works. No, that's, sure, that's sure. That's actually a great idea. Now I'm picturing Hannibal Burris in the classic yellow sweater, uh, and it works. This is we got to get in contact with funnier die. Hey, funnier die. Email us at Limits at gmail.com. That's right. We want money for this idea, or at least credit. So Arthur is almost all boys who go clothes shopping with their mothers. Doesn't want to be there, wants to go to the toy store. Back in the day, I agree 100%. Well, These sure. days, I'd be stoked. Free clothes. Let's hit it up. Yo, Mom, we go into the Gucci store. <laughs> we go into the Louis store. We go into the Fendi store, Mom. Sorry. And you know. Sorry, my mommy doesn't buy my clothes anymore. Oh, but how stoked would you be if she did? That's what I'm saying. Sure, but she, I still wouldn't want her input necessarily. You know what I'm saying? Arthur is able to go to the toy store, and he's happy. And DW with a great line here, is it a dream? No, it's DW looking beautiful in blue. The color of the sky on a crisp fall day. And it's like, I wish we got more of that. These are so good that you almost have to wonder, like, did one of these writers used to, like, work at a style guide? Like, was this their old writing job? Because it's so on the nose. Mm. So uh, Arthur kind of fooling around with a few toys. Finds a Transformer that at one point turns into Principal Haney. I was writing down all the toys Arthur uh, looks at suck before he gets to this Transformer. Hey, hey, bouncy balls are fun, man. No, I... Hey, guys, I got some bad news for you. All those toys you loved in the 90s, like that squishy thing you squeeze and it falls out of your hand, they all suck. All those toys are boring. And that's kind of the message of this episode. What do you got against Nickelodeon Gak? Guess what? When you get a new toy, like 90s toys, you play with it for like five minutes and then you're bored. That's just toys, Video games are way better. Yeah, toys suck. (laughs) Toys are lame, my dude. Unless you're putting it on your desk or if it's a dope transformer that turns into a car and also Principal Haney. My licensed Principal Haney Optimus Prime. Uh, guess what? These toys are lame. That monkey with the symbols? 
Lame, L-A-M-E, unless it's going to be a prop in like a horror movie where that monkey with the symbols comes to life and chases you. Or Toy Story Lame. 3. I, I don't know. I, I think I have to disagree with you on this one. It's, I think you and I are too old to have imaginations anymore. So our childlike innocence has been taken away and the joy of toys is no longer something that we share. Now they're just collectibles and nothing else. That's right. I, I mean all my Funko Pops. Oh, that's up. that's the twenty the twenty uh, sixteen version of this episode. Arthur's like, I gotta go to the you hot, don't ha- I gotta go to the hot topic to get my Funko. You pops. don't have a Funko Pop. I, I do have a Funko. Aha! But I'm not proud of it. Which one? It's I. It's a long story. I don't want to get into it. But oh I'm asking you after the show. <laughs> okay, so this is the first appearance that we spoke of earlier of Mr. Crosswire because Muffy's in the toy store getting basically anything she wants. And you see him right away. He's got the characteristic uh, sort of oddly blue plaid <laughs> blazer and uh, sort of a crimson chin as well, a massive like yeah, face. Yeah, big red hair with kind of, like I said, the Donald Trump kind of comb over. And, you know, kind of looking like a stereotypical rich guy. And uh, looks uh, like the kind of guy that would shut down the community uh, commu- hall community or, center, the community center. And you'd have to have a fundraiser to keep it open. Well, yeah. And that actually does play into a later episode. And then Arthur sees what he has to have. And that would be the moon boots, which are, again, kind of just basically sp- uh, boots with springs on the bottom of them. So moon moon shoes were the equivalent when I was when I was a kid, and I asked for that for several Christmases. Moon shoes, never got them. And you know what? I think my mom was right. I don't think that they would have been worth at all what she paid for them. Well, I'll get into this now. When Arthur looks up the price of the moon boots, they're $10. And I was like, that does not sound right. So I looked up what a pair of moon shoes currently costs on Amazon.com. Okay, I looked up something similar. I, I want to get into that in just a second. Okay. Uh, so Arthur goes into thinking about the moon boots imagination, and in his imagination, it takes three springs, and he launches himself to the moon. The literal moon. Yeah, the literal moon, and then he takes a bite out of it and discovers it is made of cheese. My question is, <laughs> what flavor of cheese would be dense enough that you could form a planet out of it? And that's not like a, oh, this doesn't make sense. It's like literally asking, like, what are the denser kind of cheeses that you could theoretically put into a planetoid mass and have it orbit around the earth i don't know cheeses that well so i'm not and i don't expect you to either i'm just i am italian so this is my i didn't want to go there i know but it's good if i say it i want to say maybe blue blue cheese that might just be the funniest cheese for the moon to be made out of because then it would be stinky also yeah also the most disappointing because i wouldn't want to go to the moon and eat it like if it's made out of cheddar like Sign me up. I'm quitting my job, becoming an astronaut. Oh, I don't know. You bring some buffalo wings to the blue cheese moon, you'll have a good time. Yeah, those buffalo wings ain't going to keep, though. We need that energy <laughs> to get back to Earth to live. What kind of cheese could make a planet? I'm really interested in this. Okay, so you're right. It's The moon boots are $10. So you looked up the price of what moon shoes cost right now. And I looked up something different. So, uh, but you said yours first. The so ones I yours. were looking at were thirty dollars. Thirty dollars today. Thirty dollars today. Okay. I don't think that's ten dollars with inflation in nineteen ninety four. So whatever. I looked this up. Okay. Because I wanted to see nineteen ninety six twenty years ago. Ten dollars in nineteen ninety six U S dollars equals fifteen dollars and forty one cents in twenty sixteen. So essentially, the moon boots are double the price they are in this Arthur episode. As a matter of fact. Right now, 
Fifteen dollars and forty-one cents in nineteen ninety-six. That's three action figures. Oh my goodness! Three action figures would be so much better than these moon boots. Because I was looking at the picture on Amazon. Okay, I get that it's a cartoon, so you can make anything happen. But later in the episode, spoileth Arthur gets the moon boots, and he's getting sick air with them. There's no way you're getting more than like three inches off the ground with these. And the moon things. shoes that we have like right now are like full on contraptions for your feet. These are literally boots with springs on the bottom. Yeah, the moon shoes like look clunky and cheap because they're like thirty bucks, which I expected them to be way more expensive. Uh, I so when I was a kid, I wanted them as well, and I always assumed it was because they were really expensive. Not turns out our parents were just smarter than us, and they knew they were really, really sucky toys. This was a, this was a good call on their part because I held that against my mom for a while, and then I kind of looked him up and like, ooh, she was right. <laughs> so Arthur is going hard on the cell to his parents, trying to get get them to get him the moon boots to the point where he makes a pie chart. Of all the ways that it will benefit his life. This part has had me so nostalgic because this is exactly what I would do in this scenario. Like, I remember whenever I wanted something as a kid, I would always drum up all these reasons why it was benefiting the parents as well as me. Must have been cute back then to, like, watch me talk my way in circles about this because it's so ridiculous in retrospect. But even, like... The pie chart, right? Yeah. When I wanted to go to Oceaga in high school and have my parents let me go to Montreal when I was 17, I made this PowerPoint presentation <laughs> to really, really hit the point home. Oh, man. And my favorite slide, I'll remember this, uh, not that this was necessarily true or not, but the drinking age in Montreal is different than here. It's 17, right? Yes. So I had a big slide that had some clip art of some alcohol with the big no smoking logo on it just to really bring the mental image home that, hey, I'm not going to be up to no good on this trip. Right. You know, let me go on this trip. Did you go? I did go. Nice. Good sell. Uh, my my way of doing it was always manipulation. <laughs> but of course. <laughs> But it, it was it was always just kind of planting the seed in our head that, ooh, smell those fries coming from Wendy's. Man, wouldn't that be good right about now? But, you know, I don't need it. It's okay. <laughs> I don't need it. Just, just, just throwing it out there. It smells really good. That was always my thing. I always wanted to get fast food, which is why I'm fat. So Arthur's pie chart breaks down to equal slices of transportation, reaching high places, and exercise. And then there's one sliver left over that's for mom and dad and DW. We're not and, – and let me say, the, I'm not – I'm going to say that these are not one-size-fits-all. These do not look – these, these are for child-size feet and no larger. Just the sheer idea that Arthur's trying to convince his parents, hey, these are good because you guys could use them when I'm not using them. It's crazy. It's really funny. Like, this is probably my favorite part of this whole episode just because I saw myself and Arthur okay. so much in this part, uh, and it had me so nostalgic because there was so many times as a kid I would pull this exact same shtick. Well, speaking of seeing ourselves in Arthur, we then get to see how broke he is. And how he's scrounging for money. I will say, before we get into that, DW has a great line where, you know, his parents say that you will have to drum up your own money to buy them. That way you'll appreciate them more. And DW chimes in, like the way you appreciate me. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so the many ways that Arthur tries to get money. Uh, he opens up his piggy bank. Arthur is so broke. <laughs> Arthur's so broke. His piggy bank has an IOU from himself. 
Yeah, it says you owe Arthur four dollars and thirty cents. Which hey, sincerely, you know what? Arthur. At the end of the day, Arthur's just preparing himself for credit card ownership. That's true. It's like almost like owing yourself money that you never <laughs> get to see. Uh, and he's going through pants in the wash, trying to find coins, going through the couch cushions, and then. Another real gross-out moment from the show. So within the couch cushions, Arthur finds an old lollipop that he lost. He was wondering where it went, and it's covered in hair. And not just covered in hair. It's been in the couch cushions. It's got to smell like butt, like prime butt. And Arthur just sticks it in his mouth like it's no thing. Counterpoint, free lollipop. Okay. N- I'm so mad at you right now. <laughs> I can't believe that you're saying this. Arthur's trying to save money, my man. He can't be blowing it on lollipops. But you, gotta... you, but you can't treat yourself like it's covered in hair. When it lo- smells like fart gas. When life gives you, are you crazy? When life gives you stanky lollipops, you make throw them out. Lollipop. You don't aid. need him that bad. I don't care if he's eight years old. This is, no. I can't believe we're arguing about this. I just think this show is just teaching kids you got to be, you, you know, take. Nope. Oh, my God. Not even to speak about how unsanitary it is. Make the to be best eating of the- hair that isn't even yours. Oh, Arthur's just building up his immune system. <sighs> I put stuff in my mouth that bad when I was his age, and I turned out fine, I guess. <sighs> so after this ill-advised hair lollipop, this <laughs> Bigfoot-encrusted lolly. Hair adds all the flavor. <sighs> oh, stop it. So Arthur gets his next great idea is to get bilk money from his grandma, Thora. Again, I pulled this exact move. Who who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? There's nothing better than grandparents for a source of free money. But she's wise to him. So he goes over to her house with a bouquet of flowers, hoping to butter her up, and then said that his parents already called her and that she's not to give him any money. Arthur's parents are so crafty. Well, they thought of everything, and that's a really good point. Is this the first time we meet Arthur's grandma? No, she's been around, but uh, uh, in a couple of episodes, I think, so far. But this is kind of the most that we've seen of her so far. By the way, uh, while she's she's sitting at the table, she's playing cards with herself, probably solitaire. She's playing a single-player card game, but then she says, why don't you sit down and we'll play a nice long game of Canasta. So I looked up Canasta. Yeah, I don't know what that is either. It's part of the – so – Wikipedia for card games, first of all, bad way to try and understand how it plays. Just threw that out the window. <laughs> Canasta is part of the Rummy family of card games. So not only is it, so there's like Gin Rummy, the card game, and then there's like the Rummy family. So cards, we're talking about sub wikis on sub wikis. Oh my goodness. This is like, this is one of the uses for simple English Wikipedia if I ever have seen one. No kidding. It, uh, Canasta apparently big in the 1950s, so, you know, more his grandma's time. And apparently it takes an hour to play, about an hour, and you it's meant to be played with four players, but there are two-player variants. Man, someone's got to teach... Arthur's grandma had to play like Magic the Gathering or like Apples to Apples. Yeah, or re- something that makes my head hurt. Yeah, a bit real less. card games. Magic the Gathering actually makes it hurt less. That's true. Then again, you're dealing with less numbers and, the, and more illustrations, I guess. So maybe a bit better. So we go back to the Reed house. Arthur, uh, excuse me, uh, D.W. and Arthur's mom are playing checkers, and I and it made me think I haven't played checkers since I was in junior high. Like I can't remember the last time I played a game of checkers. Oh, I used to I used to play checkers with my grandfather. Uh, oh yeah, and he would always cheat. 
He would always. I was really young, uh, and he would always cheat when I was looking around. That's that's the best time to cheat when you have <laughs> younger si- si- siblings, children in your family like cheat away. That's like true. I can't. I can't wait till my niece is old enough to understand checkers. I'm gonna. I'm gonna cheat the crap out of her. Oh man, it's like when I was a camp counselor. I used to play basketball against little kids. I've never felt closer to LeBron James in my life <laughs> than playing basketball against little kids. I highly recommend it. For sure, it's a great ego boost. Arthur says my calculations may be off, <laughs> but but by but by my understanding, by the time I get enough money for the moon bo- moon boots, I'll be a hundred and nine years old. And somewhere, Mr. Ratburn is crying at that misuse of the math that he taught Arthur. So is it though? Because I was trying to do the math on this. I really couldn't though. I'm not great at math. We've already established this. Dude, but I, so it's going to take Arthur approximately. 99 years to buy moon boots. Moon boots cost $10. So I tried to do this on a calculator. I couldn't figure out how to do it. So well, it's like. Well, actually, if he's eight now, then it would be 101 years. See, shows how bad I am at math. So 101 years. Bad start. And then we got to divide that. So 10. Is it 10 divided by 101? Is that what it is? No, because it's 60 cents. Oh, geez. Oh. I don't know. uh, All I know is like... I really threw a wrench in your whole thing. It's really a percentile of a cent or something Arthur's making (laughs) on a regular basis. I believe It's a crazy equation. I believe it. And it obviously has no merit whatsoever. Um, He's making astronomically little money (laughs) if it's true. Uh, So Arthur, as we've seen before, has had many business ventures. Some of them failed, some of them charitable. But you got to like he goes through three different stand ideas here, and you got to you got to kind of appreciate his entrepreneurial spirit. Maybe it comes from his dad because his dad with the catering business. So Arthur is trying to make it work with whatever he can. Uh, you ever try to have do. a lemonade stand? I think so. At one point, I'm sure I did. I I did a couple times when I was a kid because I saw it on TV. Never successful. Cars just drive by. That's the thing you don't realize about lemonade stands. Unless you're getting a lot of foot traffic, people don't stop their cars to give you 25 cents for a lemonade. They got places to be. Oh, no, goodness, no. And the other thing, the problem I have is that whenever I go buy a lemonade stand, I don't have any cash or coins. That's true. Hey, the the, the kids took debit or maybe had a Bitcoin machine, we'd be in luck. But one time this summer I did, and it was like the first time I've ever bought lemonade from a kid and i felt really good so that's why it's a good idea to keep coins around kids pro tip from me get your lemonade stand working with cryptocurrency okay and i'll use my percentile of a bitcoin to buy some lemonade we're gonna be in business baby give me a call do you have bitcoin no lord no what do i look like to you some kind of computer hacker man you don't want me to answer that oh i'm just just (laughs) i'm just kidding but computer hacker man you you might be picked out of a lineup because of that. Mr. Robot Season 2 on USA Today. Starring Lucas Mancini. Uh, so the lemons get stolen in Arthur's lemonade stand by some jerk dog. Uh, so his second idea is a kissing booth, which I thought was very forward for an eight-year-old, and then is immediately shot down by other eight-year-olds. So bad idea, Arthur. You need to know your audience. <laughs> And then his third one is Fortune Teller, which never really gets going because it gets washed out, but uh, probably didn't have much likes to it. But God bless him, he was trying. Arthur says that people will be living on the moon by the time he has enough money for the moon boots. (laughs) Another gross miscalculation by Arthur, I can only assume. This means Arthur hypothesizes people will be living on the moon in the year 2094. 
Yeah. I don't know about that, Arthur. We got to call up Elon Musk, ask him how pop, uh, possible that is. Arthur is kind of bereft of ideas, and DW says uh, has a limited time offer for him. Uh, she will lend him some of her birthday money, but in exchange, he'd have to be her servant and do all her chores and call her your highness for a whole year, which Arthur soundly rejects. His mother kind of uh, gives him a break by, you know, kind of giving him household chores to do and, you know, say she pay him $2, which is a fine, which is a fine start, especially for a kid. There's not exactly like work that he can get on the regular, uh, especially after all this failed attempts. Um, it made me think, was there ever a toy when you were a kid that like, like that was the toy that you felt like you needed, like that you wanted so bad? Like if you asked for it for Christmas, for your birthday, was there a toy that you really, really like defined your childhood? You needed that. Yeah, I used to. And I think I've talked about this on here before, but I used to get the Sears catalog. Like right the wish Christmas. book. Yeah, the Sears. Yeah, wish the book. wish book. And near the back of the wish book, it would have all the pictures of the toys. And I would look like I was such a weird kid, but I would just stare at these pages every no, single no, day. I did that, too. I would uh, I would look at those, too. And uh, the main one, and I did end up getting it for Christmas, was 20th anniversary Optimus Prime. The most expensive Transformer right. I had ever seen. $99, right. but man, still have them. Made of that die-cast metal. And boy, 20th anniversary Optimus Prime it continues to be awesome. Just like I said earlier, the only not lame toys, Transformers. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was kind of... It was the be- it was the best booked wrestling storyline of my life. It was my quest to get a Nintendo sixty four. Oh, geez. video games in general, really, because yeah. I because I didn't I wasn't allowed video games for a long time. Me too, not till I was like twelve. Yep, same. It was actually it was I think it was the Christmas where I was twelve that I got my Nintendo sixty four, and that was after asking it. For Were you years. the kid from the video? Yes. Like I watched that video, and I'm like, that was exactly almost exactly. <laughs> like in fact, it was actually more embarrassing because like when i opened it up like i was so overcome with happiness that i just screamed out he's real and i was talking about santa oh i thought you were talking about shigeru miyamoto and no. of course will he's of course real. he's real so that so uh, that i want a son uh what was your first n64 game just for curiosity mario kart 64 that's solid i think it was the one that came with the system oh okay so good yeah and of course i played i'm a gonna win played the mess out of that so Arthur is sweeping up the garage, and then we get the debut of Mrs. Tibble, who comes by, uh, of course, uh, grandmother to the Tibble twins. And she's kind of she takes it that he is having a garage sale, but he's really just cleaning out the garage and kind of sweeping it out. And she finds a necklace, and she says, I'd pay $5 for this. And Arthur tries to dissuade her, and she says, all right, $10 and not a penny more. And I'm like, okay, bad haggle, lady. <laughs> You see that you're looking at this necklace and you're immediately going to $10. Like, you're trying to take advantage of this kid. And also, you haggled yourself up. Like, bad. Like, you're, you're going about this all wrong. Then again, maybe Miss Tibble knows that this necklace is worth way more than $10, which I think is the implication. Like, well, yeah, uh, and it's just kind of taking advantage of Arthur not really knowing anything. Yeah. And Arthur, completely corrupt moral compass. Like, sure, he thinks about not doing it for a little bit. But he, he sells her the necklace. But that entrepreneurial spirit, he seizes the opportunity. Mm. With, but without thinking ahead. And I think it's more that Arthur's just morally corrupt to his core and selfish. Man, you are hard line on this stuff. You take people at their word and you, like, one slip up and they're done. Man, that's harsh. So Arthur takes $10 for the mysterious necklace. 
then he uses it to buy the moon boots. But he has to keep no it from tax the, in the Arthur universe. Mm-hmm. It's ten dollars on the dime. But he has to keep it from his parents uh, for right now. And to which he later finds out that the necklace was actually his dad's birthday present to his mother. Which, Proof number two that Arthur's dad's yeah. the MVP of these two episodes. He's such a goofball, and he's kind of really oblivious in this episode. Because he comes out, and he's being all sweet, and he's like, Arthur, uh, did, have you seen the necklace I got your mother for her birthday present? I hid it in the garage. I've kind of misplaced right. it. And he's all like, like he's just so goofy. Like He kind of cares, but he kind of does it. Like He's like, I'll find it when I find it. I'm looking for this necklace I bought. It's probably really expensive. Yeah, and, 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 to, it's, and he asked Arthur if he's seen it, and Arthur just goes, oh, and then he just says, okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he just kind of leaves him. It's, it's, it's a great reaction. And then later, Arthur comes back, doesn't necessarily lie. He goes, Dad, I didn't exactly put the necklace back, but I'm going to go get it, okay? And then Arthur's dad shrugs it off. He's like, okay, that sounds uh, let good. Me, let me know if you need help moving anything. And it's like, Arthur's dad, didn't that sound a little sus? Wasn't that a tad <laughs> bit suspicious that he was like, I didn't do exactly putting it back. But. To, the, to the letter of the law, I was not true, but uh, I'm going to go get it back. Yeah, I would maybe do a double take or something yeah, if ask, someone said that about what is presumably a valuable necklace. Ask questions here. So he goes to Mrs. Tibble and basically, like, the situation really comes to nothing. Like, it's not really – like, I get – Arthur kind of learns his lesson, I guess, but – like not, comes no, clean. Nothing happens. Like it just kind of he sells her the necklace, realizes he needed needs it back, gets it back from her. Like he has to do some chores, but like whatever. That's like, right. And he gets to keep the moon boots. That's so it's right, not like he does the so chores. It's, so it's not like he loses the moon boots to get the necklace back. It's like, no, he just gets to keep them. Uh like you said earlier, moon boots work really, really well. He is bouncing up to the top of the tree. In order to uh, knock off the leaves and rake them all up, for that's Mrs. why he Tibble. gets to keep the moon boots. Is yeah. because uh, Miss, him and Mrs. Tibble sort of enter a contract where he gets to keep the moon boots as long as he uses them uh, right. to rake the leaves that are on top of the tree. Right. And as he's doing this, uh, Buster comes by. Buster asks, well, "What's going on?" But Arthur kind of lays out the entire plot of the episode for Buster. Buster kind of no sells it. He's like, "Okay, you want to complain now, though." Can I, Arthur, can I try the moon boots while you rake? Yeah, and Arthur explains what's going on and how he's making money from raking with the moon boots. And I kind of agree with you. Weird conclusion to the episode. Like, Arthur did kind of It kind of works out. his lesson, but not really. It, it kind of works out for everybody in a way that it almost shouldn't. Yeah, especially Arthur's dad, man. you got to be more involved with yeah. what's going on. Yeah. So there you go. That's Arthur Bounces Back. Moon boots. 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 Thoughts on this episode, Lucas? Yeah. So the first episode. Yes. To start with Arthur's. What's it called again? Arthur's. Arthur's new puppy. Arthur's new puppy. Um, I I liked it. It was a fun episode. Pal's a really fun character, especially with how expressive he is. The animation on Pal's really good. The episode is brisk. There's a lot that goes on in it. It's uh, like a lot of different locations. Like the story moves places. It's also a hyper-focused episode. It really is focused on the character of Arthur and Pal, and everybody else is kind of either an exposition machine or like just a quip. 
they're or all they, kind of, or they play a certain role in the story. Like yeah, the yeah, WS it's antagonist. really an Arthur showpiece, and I think it's one of the best Arthur showpieces we've gotten so far. Uh, so far, like it's been the episodes focusing on different characters that I've really been drawn to, but I really liked Arthur in uh, that episode, and so I thought it was just a pretty good episode. Okay. Bounces back, I don't know, like, I had a lot of nostalgia for this episode in two ways. One, I just remember the moon boots and the visual of the moon boots, but it also made me nostalgic for the feelings I felt that were very similar to Arthur's. I remember feeling like Arthur that exact same way and trying to coerce my parents that exact same way. So I'm torn. I really liked that aspect of the episode, but, like, as an A to B to C plot, it was really lacking. Uh, It's just weird how the whole thing gets tied up. The stakes aren't exactly clear. It's just Arthur kind of selling his mom's necklace and he gets it back. Whereas the stakes in the puppy episode, immensely clear. Life or or death. Arthur either has to fix Pal, essentially his behavior, or else Pal is no more. Mm -hmm. Couldn't be a simpler storyline. The the Moon Boots episode, it's like... I can't really make heads or tails of it. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I really like Arthur's new puppy because Pal is actually one of my favorite characters in the show. And of course, you know, I already gushed em, em, enough about how much how adorable I think he is. I just love golden retriever puppies in any in any form. Um, and Pal, I think, is a great dynamic to add to Arthur. I think he's I think he really. He doesn't so much serve Arthur's character because he's his own character himself. Like he even gets his own episode in in not too long, actually. But it's it's a great dynamic that he has with Arthur that he always kind of has a bit of a sidekick, and it's a great way to introduce him. And a little bit, like you said, the stakes are pretty high and uh, uh, relatable to a kid. Uh, Bounces Back, I think, had potential to do that, and it's definitely not unenjoyable or anything. It's just it kind of left me kind of left me cold at the end because like you said like the the a b and c plots don't really come to anything and it all kind of wraps up and we're no different than kind of where we started because everything kind of worked out for arthur without him really having to sacrifice too much and that's that's kind of the call of like a kid's show is that when you like you get something that you want that maybe you're not supposed to then the lesson you need to learn there is well sometimes you have to maybe give up that thing like i figured if you were making this episode, you would want it so that, you know, Arthur gives back the money. He gets the necklace, but he doesn't keep the moon boots. But he does. He gets to keep the moon boots as payment, basically, and he gets back the necklace. So nobody's the wiser. Like, and his parents didn't – like, he was never found out. He was never caught or anything. So at, at the end, it just kind of it, – it didn't do much for me. I think too much of the plot was uh, put to the side for, like, jokes. Like, the first three quarters of this episode are Arthur wanting the moon boots. Yeah. There's no actual drama yeah. until, like, the very, very last few minutes when he ends up selling the necklace, right? That's the only drama in that storyline. It's a relatable situation. They just don't do a lot with it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So there you go. I would definitely recommend – Arthur's new puppy that's I it's not in the top yet and you know I'm gonna have to start making the list of like my top Arthur season one episodes I it's not in the top but I do like it a lot and Arthur bounces back uh I don't think it's in the it may it would probably be like the top the top of the bottom if you know what I'm saying like Ooh, I think it might be a little bit closer to the bottom for me okay. I think it's right above uh 
the one, the imaginary friend episode. Given the, given the sheer amount of episodes, like if I were to do it like a top five and a bottom five, I think it would definitely escape the bottom five. But it would also like doesn't do anything for me. It's just it doesn't it doesn't like offend me or it's not like boring or anything. It's just kind of interesting. I look forward to. Making you know, those actual lists. That yeah, you know, like yeah, you know what? Like while the episodes are in my head, I'm gonna have to do a tally of them and kind of mark them where they are right now. So top five and bottom five. When we get to the end of season one, we'll yeah, check definitely. back. We'll check back in with that. Okay. So speaking of season one, we are continuing on with it. Uh, next next week's episode. Uh, speaking of Mrs. Tibble in this episode, this one is Ooh. our real introduction to the Tibble twins. When we talk about Arthur babysits. And then we get Arthur's cousin catastrophe, where we Interesting. see where we see some of Arthur's extended family. So, okay, this is really interesting. I remember loving the Tibble twins, so I'm excited for their introduction. I have no idea what Arthur's extended family entails. I've completely forgotten all about that episode, so I'm excited. I'll be interested to see how I react to it as an adult, because I think that there's a lot of more adult dialogue, jokes, um, character types that are in that episode that maybe I didn't understand as a kid. And when I was a kid, I hated the Tibble Twins because they were were bad boys, and I was a good little boy. Oh, man. I love them. They're rowdy. Mm -hmm. The Tibble Twins, they know how to to have a good time. You know what I'm saying? The Tibble Twins get lit. Anyway, we will get into all of that next time here on Elwood City Limits. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Make sure that you pass this along to a friend. Uh, We've got all these social media, and we sometimes hardly know what to do with it. So we would love you to pass this along to somebody you know who loves Arthur and who would love to hear us talking about it. Thank you for listening. We hope that you continue to do so, and we hope that you interact with us in the many ways that you can. Of course, if you have forgotten, then make sure you go back to the beginning of the episode. It will be right at the beginning. Lucas. If he eats soap. Oh, I messed it up. (laughs) You owe me $12 million. All right. For Lucas Mancini, I'm Will Young. This has been Elwood City Limits. Thanks for joining us.